would like to uh, welcome you all to the product anchor uh, panel. Uh, I have to say that, uh, first of all, tremendous thanks to our panelists for being with us today. We have an amazing group of uh, top level uh, executives. Uh, and Randy, thank you for, uh, for moderating it. Uh, this is uh, one of the largest panels of our forum, uh, indicating the popularity of the topic and, of course, the popularity of the speakers. Uh, and that's why we made it um, uh, the longest. It's about 15 minutes to allow for uh, enough time for everybody. So without uh, any more delay, I just want to say thank you. I'm so proud to have this panel with us today. And uh, Randy, uh, please take over. Thank you, Tony. Uh, Robert, Mike, uh, Michael, Kevin, Carlos, and Jacob. Awesome. Yay. Thank you, uh, Nicholas. Thanks for the introduction. Thanks for having us all. As Nicholas said, my name is Randy Givens, head of the Energy Maritime Shipping Equity Research Team here at Jefferies. So on today's star-studded panel, we have some of the top executives in the refined products tanker sector. We have Anthony Gurney, Tony Gurney, founder and CEO of Ardmore Shipping, Carlos DiMatolo, CFO of D'Amico, Kevin Kilcullen, CFO of Diamond Desk Shipping, Michael Skov, CEO of Hafnia, Robert Bugby, President of Scorpio Tankers, and Jacob Meldegard, CEO of Torm. So we'll start the panel with a little bit of background information. We'll discuss some of the industry drivers, look at some of the company's fleets, and, and obviously discuss some of the hot topics. So there is a Q&A function as well for those of you watching. So feel free to throw some questions at us uh, with that. So now before we kind of discuss the outlook, right, for the refined products tankers, I think it'd be beneficial to talk about where the industry has been over the past year. You know, as we were talking a few seconds ago, there's been periods before of bad rate environments, and there has been periods of incredible strong rates, right? Obviously, we saw that last spring. Um, so with that, Tony, if we can start with you, maybe some of the specific reasons that caused that incredible rate rally that everyone started to be interested in tankers and products tankers back in March, April, May, and then maybe what caused the subsequent weakness, obviously the inventory overhang and some other things from then until today. So Tony, if you can kick us off. Sure, um, thanks Randy. And I think before we get into kind of economics and, and sort of markets, I think we have to acknowledge that if we look back over the last year, um, it was certainly a very, very difficult year for seafarers and a really challenging year operationally. Um, you know, having said that, um, 2020 was a good year overall. I mean, if you look at the results from uh, all the companies on this panel, I think almost everybody's released now. Uh, net, net, it was a roller coaster, but it was a good year. Um, you know, uh, we'll you know talk about specifics, but I think just to kind of put it in context, um, you know, it'd be interesting to hear from others. But our our top rate for the year was 77,000 a day for a 50-day voyage. Um, that, you know, if you capital adjust that to a VLCC, uh, that's about 220,000 a day. Um, so, you know, that, that was, uh, you know, um, a nice, a nice peak. Um, the volatility also created opportunities, um, opportunities for companies to time trial or out at the right time. Some companies were very good at doing that. Um, others used, uh, FFAs to synthetically create that kind of a hedge, uh, before the market tipped over. And, um, and I think some of the companies, that are on the panel that have that have scrubber equipped ships uh, did a good job in uh, in hedging out their high low spread. So it was a year of opportunity uh, and uh, an overall good year. Um, you know, and you know we're into a, a new phase, which you know we'll you know we'll talk about in a little bit. So the second, I guess, second point is um, you know what you know why why did we achieve such peak rates? Um, uh, little you know a little more than a little less than a year ago now. Um, and I think I think the one key point to make is that really good markets are built on layers of demand and not just one event. And I think last year um, was no exception. So, you know, as hard as it is to imagine anything prior to uh, uh, the first lockdown in, in uh, late March of 2020, um, the fact is that uh, we did have some uh, geopolitical events that started building the tanker market um, up to good levels in the autumn of 2019. Um, IMO 2020, which was much heralded and discussed on the years prior to its implementation, um, you know, on January 1st, 2020, um, it did really build in particular demand for, uh, for product tankers. Um, <clears throat> so by, by January, as a consequence of that, <clears throat> we were already up into the kind of the high teens. Um, that was also supported by a good winter market. Um, that's something that should never be overlooked. And, uh, and then when we got into early March, amazingly, uh, the Russians and the Saudis went to war on the price of oil. And that really turbocharged the market. And this was before 
you know, the, the coronavirus uh, had any impact on the market. Um, we then had a, a bit of a pause around uh, Chinese New Year uh, when we were all kind of watching with a bit of horror <laughs> at, the, at the spread of at the initial spread of the virus. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the result, though, was a admittedly a demand collapse, but it created this, um, you know, combined with the price war, um, an extreme, you know, contango uh, environment that resulted in a lot of cargo movement, um, a lot of um, a lot of storage opportunities, um, a lot of port congestion and delays um, to voyages. So really scrambled up the market and that created uh, pretty amazing conditions, um, you know, really through until until July. And then when we got into August, uh, the music stopped. <laughs> um, and then, um, you know, in, in the beginning of that, um, I think we all thought that on the back of the, you know, the more, you know, widespread view that we were, you know, probably in for a V-shaped recovery um, in terms of the global economy. Um, I think we all had reasonably high hopes for the winter market. Um, that did not materialize. We did get a better run in product tankers anyway um, than, than we had in kind of September, October um, and November. Um, but, but, you know, the market, ha, you know, has kind of, um, you know, had, you know, was more muted, obviously, going, going through the winter. Um, having said that, um, if you go back to starting in December through January and into February, actually product tanker rates got pretty good again. So we were, you know, the East anyway, we were booking freights, uh, you know, TCEs up in the high teens again, right? So I think, I think that's important to kind of differentiate between what's happened to the crude market a crude tanker market and what's happened to the product market. And I think that um, it's just a result of better underlying demand for, for products, um, as well as the fact that we're just more closely linked uh, to economic recovery, which in fact did begin in December um, initially. Um, yeah. So, you know, overall, um, you know, rather than kind of viewing uh, the last three months as being a, a 20, you know, a once in 20 year disaster for product tankers, I think it's been not great, but it's been pretty good overall, and, and particularly East. And I think that kind of lays a lays the groundwork for further discussion uh, with the other panel members um, around the future. And I think it, it bodes well for the future um, in terms of underlying demand. Yeah, I agree. Thanks for that background. And as we said earlier, we, we've certainly seen weak rates before. So looking ahead, right, that's what kind of we, we want to talk about on this panel. Rates have started to show some signs of life as recently as December, January, you're starting to see some of the time charter market picking up. So I guess this brings me to, to two questions. First to Michael, what demand drivers have pushed up rates recently? And what are some of these longer term drivers that might cause a more sustained structural recovery? Yeah, thanks for that. <clears throat> I mean, I think uh, just building on a bit what, uh, what Tony said, um, so, I mean, what we've seen lately, I think, is, is, is kind of a reflection that, that markets, you know, are beginning slowly but surely to normalize. Uh, now, we have admittedly come from very low levels, but, you know, kind of on a more low practical manner, we've seen more exports coming out of China. Um, you know, we've seen uh, more exports coming out of the Middle East. Uh, we've seen that has been a change in ton mile in the West with a cold spell in the U.S. So products had to move out of Europe for longer distances. So, you know, what you're really seeing is, probably primarily the Far East have, have benefited the most. Um, but when people look at rates, we have to remember also that, uh, you know, the, the oil price and the bunkers have gone up, right? So when you compare time shadow earnings now and going back three months and four months, you have to remember that we have lost a bit in terms of increased fuel costs for the ships. Um, but maybe just to stay a little bit on, I think on another important topic, and, and you just mentioned it around time shadow and spot market, uh, which is really the sentiment. And, you know, I think the important part to understand now is that when you look at the spot market, one also has to understand where are we on, if you like, the sentiment scale. And if you look at where the industry is right now, you're seeing almost everyone of our clients, trading houses, etc., are trying to take ships on time shadow. Uh, everyone is on the same side at the moment, realizing that uh, we're seeing a rebound in oil demand after uh, COVID-19 uh, initial lockdown, which has come back quicker than what people expected. And I think it's pretty clear that everyone is expecting a second half of this year uh, to reach the pre-COVID-19 levels. And therefore people are beginning to look at time shadow in. And interesting enough, it's for the longer periods. And the reason I bring it up here is because those sentiments are important for spot markets. Uh, when there's a strong sentiment, rates move faster and quicker upwards when the balance is tight. So I would say as well, look at the three year time shadow rates, they will be supporting 
the secondhand values as we go along. So it's positive to see that the longer term time charter rates are now uh, moving up. I think this is the first signal of an improved spot market sentiment as well. Um, yeah. So I don't know, maybe, maybe taking this one step further. Uh, so this is the spot market. I think when we look at the drivers for, for the rest of this year, you know, it, it's, it's inevitably back to you know, the normalization, if you like, of demand. And uh, you know, I think there's been a lot of discussions on, and maybe a bit of confusion, I believe, also on the whole renewable part. I mean, I, I think when it comes to oil, our view is that we have not passed peak oil yet. And I think you are going to see oil demand go up for the next many years, uh, which means that from, from where we are sitting now, um, you know, the normalization that we've seen after COVID-19, I think is going to have a, a massive impact on the, uh, on the demand side on the back end of this year. Uh, hence the reason why we are positive from that side. Sure. And then looking at the different asset classes within refined products tankers, you know, historically, LR2s have obviously outperformed MRs, mainly due to their size and long-haul nature. But currently, pretty much all asset classes are at similar rate levels, right? Is that 8,000, 10,000, 12,000? So what is causing this maybe reduced gap between the LRs and MRs, and when will this gap widen? Robert, with Scorpio operating in both of those asset classes, I'll, I'll toss this one to you. Oh, wait, hold on, you're on mute. Okay, and there is a wide gap. I think your data is sort of wrong. I mean, if we look at um, you know, the earnings guidance we've just given, we've we've given LR guidance in the 15s and the same as Ardmore MRs in the 11s. So you've still got that traditional spread where LR2s are trading higher than MRs. And I think that you know, that's going forward. I don't think it's a question of let's have an argument as to what's going to be better between MRs and LR2s. I think that, you know, the product tanker all vessels, whether LR1s or not, are going to be moving up and moving up steeply. And the LR1s, twos are benefiting from, you know, the, the, the growth in business and the long haul trades out of Asia, and they will benefit from the increased refinery exports out of the Arabian Gulf. But at the same time, MRs will as well. So I think that the, you know, rather the interest to me is not within the product group. Every, all these boats are going to rise in that same tide. The interest is much more that the product group is going to, is, and is going to react quicker than the crude oil group. And we're already seeing positive events. I mean, this last, you know, week, as soon as the Asia came back from its Lunar New Year, rates and volumes started to tick up in Asia. You know, we, this week rates have moved up. The United States last week had, you know, higher use of gasoline demand since the beginning of COVID. The, all the vaccination news, just look what's happened in the last week between the United States and the United Kingdom. They're bringing forward by months the time that vaccinations are going to be there. And we know from the human behavior that it's going to be instantaneous. The instantaneous increase on gasoline and flying when people are able to get out and do things once they're vaccinated. I mean, all of us in the United States are now getting things that if we have children are getting things on our emails telling us that, you know, activities are back, that lacrosse training is going to happen, that soccer training is going to happen, that, you know, you can go back to doing training, et cetera, et cetera. So very soon we're going to be using even more and, you know, I think that's fantastic. That's the most important thing. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. Texas, obviously lifting the mask mandate, reopening all businesses to 100% capacity in exactly a week. So hopefully yeah. other states and, uh, and countries will follow. So uh, looking at some other kind of individual demand drivers, um, refinery closures, right? In North America, in Europe, there's new refineries in the Middle East and Asia. Obviously that should ex expect to increase your ton mile demand for product stankers. So Jacob, are you currently seeing some of these signs of this kind of market shift in refinery capacity? Yeah, thanks. Uh, as a follow-up on what's already described by, uh, by Michael and Robert, I mean, uh, it's very clear that the COVID-19 is of course here and now negative for all of us. We're experiencing these low rate environment, but it's really teeing up really well demand side as Robert uh, described human behavior will be different. But then when we look at how 
the volumes are going to be moved into these demand areas, then it is uh, a significant change uh, on the refinery side, where especially Australia, New Zealand have closed down the equivalent of capacity that will take somewhere between 35 and 50 MRs to make up for that uh, closure of refinery. But it's not only uh, Australia and New Zealand. We've seen the same acceleration of the refinery closures taking place on US West Coast, US East Coast, also uh, here in Europe and, and, uh, and South Africa. So it's really scattered around in the developed economies that uh, refineries is something we, we don't want in our backyard, you can say. And it's reoccurring uh, that you got still new refineries coming on in Middle East and in China in the areas that are already the export areas. So I think the, the short end of this is that, well, we can't see it in rates now, but as Robert points to, once you've got that demand kick, then really uh, you will have an increase in the ton mile demand, even at the same consumption levels that we saw, that we saw uh, pre-COVID. So of course we need the vaccination roll up, everything needs to be safe. And it's not only soccer that needs to uh, come back, but once all activities back in society, we are going to see uh, uh, demand growth on refined products across the uh, mobility and uh, across uh, transportation uh, fuels will be which will be beneficial, especially with these refinery closures. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And then another big driver of tanker right demand is your inventory levels. So obviously those were, you know, inventory stocking led to that massive increase in the first half of 20 inventory destocking really put a lid on rates right in the back half of 2020 and even until today. So Kevin, as Diamond S operates both crude and products tankers, any insight on, on inventory levels for both of those commodities or countries building or reducing inventories currently? Yeah, Randy, thank you. But before I begin, I just want to say you're doing an excellent job. I think if this equity analyst thing doesn't work out, Weatherman is a decent second career choice for you with the charts in the background. I think that's uh, that's great. Noted, noted. Um, I, to talk about storage, you know, let's start with the, the really good news, which is on the, the floating storage, which is obviously the marginal way that petroleum products get stored. It peaked in May of last year, and uh, by the end of February, we're down at least 80% uh, uh, from that peak. So the impact of additional vessels coming off storage contracts and entering the trading fleet is greatly reduced. I think we're well within historical normal levels. We shouldn't see that increased supply further drive down rates as vessels roll off. The shore side story um, is a little different. I think it's trending fairly positive. Um, shore side product inventories are about 5% higher than they were at this time last year and call it 4% higher than uh, the five-year historical average. Um, it's, it's maybe more interesting to think about the days forward cover, which is about 71 days of, of forward demand cover. That's, that's about 10% higher than the five-year average. I think that is entirely a factor of demand being depressed, and we should see that number come down pretty rapidly. You know, as we all know, the, the oil curve is now backward dated, which strongly encourages the drawdown of inventories. And in fact, we've seen inventories come down in most of the OECD markets uh, pretty strongly in the past six months. So net-net, I think, you know, certainly the, the floating storage, pretty positive, shore-side storage is, is beginning to normalize. Good deal. And to Carlos, uh, obviously the lack of jet fuel demand, nobody flying, that's been a massive overhang on the refined products tanker market. So is this market contingent upon increased air traffic or can the market cover recover kind of without the airline's help? Yeah, Randy, thanks for that question. It's, it's yeah, I agree with you. It's extremely important. Um, and uh, uh, for us, for, the, for, for this, uh, jet fuel represented 9% of what we transported more or less in uh, 2019. And if we look at the second half of 2020, it was only around 3%. So that gives an, an idea of the magnitude of the decrease in the jet fuel that we transported. If you look at the industry as a whole, uh, the product tank industry as a whole, the, the, the decrease was maybe less pronounced, around 30%, just over 30%. Uh, 
but it is nonetheless a very important product for us. And therefore, what will happen with jet fuel demand is, is critical for the overall picture. I think on the tourism side, uh, which is the overwhelming majority of the travel, uh, the business travel, if you look only at number of passengers, represents only around 12% of the overall travel, uh, you're going to see uh, a big rebound. And there's also a lot of personal savings, so which, which happen because of lack of uh, opportunities to spend. Of course, this is not uh, homogeneously distributed, but there was a lot of excess savings in, in, in many countries. Uh, and there is this willingness to, uh, human willingness to go out and, and travel and do the things that people like to do again. And, uh, and so I think we're going to see a very strong rebound there. Uh, and travel will probably uh, return to, air travel will probably return to normal by, by the middle of uh, 2022. Uh, regarding the business travel, which as I mentioned, is a much smaller share of the overall travel. Uh, there are analysts which say that it could stay at a lower level uh, indefinitely. Uh, it will probably continue growing and will rebound, of course, from the very low levels at which we are today. But it could potentially stay at 10 to even maybe 30% below, some analysts say, uh, what we experienced pre-COVID. Now, but if you put that into, into a, a bigger picture, uh, uh, it, it is actually only a small fraction uh, of the overall uh, demand uh, for seaborne transportation of refined products. So even in the worst case scenario where the business travel were to say 30% below pre-COVID, that would probably only mean that, uh, that uh, demand uh, is around 0.3% below um, where it was uh, pre-COVID overall product tanker demand. And, and the, the tourist uh, related uh, uh, demand for travel is going to continue increasing. Before COVID, it was expected to more than double between 2019 and 2050. Uh, grow at a compounded annual growth rate of 2.6%. So it should go back to that, to that trajectory and it will more than compensate for the lack of, uh, of business travel. So um, I, am, uh, I am optimistic on the medium term for the sector, very optimistic, maybe a bit less, a bit more prudent on the, on the short term. Uh, I think that maybe we might have to wait for 2022 to see a stronger market, but uh, I hope I'm wrong. Uh, but uh, it does. I think it's better to be um, a bit more prudent, and uh, you know, if if we all all are not as optimistic as usual, which uh, ship owners tend to be very optimistic, uh, it will hopefully mean less and yeah, vessels being ordered and an even stronger market uh, later. Sure. And then uh, Tony, looking back a little bit at. IMO 2020, right? That was all the talk of 2019 and even the first quarter of 2020 before COVID hit. Have you seen any specific maybe demand impacts that are permanent from IMO 2020? And if so, what was the kind of biggest cause of additional demand for products tankers? Any new routes developing or anything like that? I think we, uh, if you go back to 2019, and, and as you say, the first quarter of 2020, we were talking about IMO 2020 for all the right reasons, because it, we, we thought it was going to be real and it was real. And the fact is that really since the start of the, you know, the Russia-Saudi price war and then the impact of the pandemic, IMO 2020 has gone missing in action. <clears throat> but it's still alive and it'll come back. And uh, my own view, and I'd be curious what other people think, but my own view is that when demand normalizes again, <clears throat> the, the trade patterns that we assessed at the time had to come into, into being to supply low sulfur feedstock and gas oil where it was needed. They're going to come back too, and you know, a year ago, we felt that it was adding three or four percent to product tanker demand. That'll probably still be the case when when we get back to normalized levels of demand. Of course, at the moment, it's all you know mixed up because of not just lower jet fuel demand, but still gas oil and gasoline. Um, you know, so it's it's uh, you know it's it's not not visible at the moment, but we we do think it's still alive and well, and it'll be back. Got it. And then Robert, you know, scrubbers were all the rage as we entered 2020, but now entering 21, they seem left behind. Not many people are talking about them. Spreads are maybe $100 a ton. Can you provide some updated commentary or thoughts on scrubbers 
both at Scorpio Tankers and on the industry level? Sure. They're great. They're, they're much better to have than not right now. I mean, $100 a ton is you know, it's still over two, two and a half thousand dollars a day on an LR2. That's great. 700,000 a year. Put that on what's in the normal equity. That's a pretty good return. So, you know, that's all I would, all I would really say on it. I don't care if other people put scrubbers in or not. I'm really happy that we've completed our scrubber program and I'm really happy that it spreads back over a hundred. Sure. All right. And then Michael, one more question on the LR trade. You know, there's been a lot of talk around naphtha demand and, and kind of the substitute for propane uh, for some of the crackers in Asia. How's that naphtha business currently? Is it pretty volatile or relatively stable here in the last few months? Yeah, so I think, I mean, at least when we look at it, uh, I can't say that we've seen you know a massive effect from that. I mean, it's evident that it has been there and that there has been more naphtha moving, but Due to the nature of the freight market, you, you know, I think it's difficult to kind of to cut out and say what had that effect and, and what didn't. What we can see, though, is that, that NAFTA has maintained its market share at a time where uh, most of the other products fell down on demand side. So that does indicate that we have seen support for NAFTA in general. But as I said, when you are in a weak freight environment in general terms, you know, it, it, it's tough to see what actually keeps you know, the market at certain levels, but, but NAFTA have, have definitely held up well. And it has helped, of course, that the pricing difference between uh, gas and NAFTA has been, has been evident and therefore supported the NAFTA in general terms. Got it, okay. Let's switching, uh, switch gears over to the supply side of the equation, right? Looking at some of your fleets and on the ordering side, new build orderings have certainly fallen in recent years. Uh, the, the order book to fleet ratio is down to 6%, maybe 7% obviously a multi-decade low. So what, if anything, uh, is gonna keep this ratio from climbing back up to maybe 15 or even 20%? Is it the lack of shipyard capacity, lack of access to capital, um, just owners reticent to do new building orders with the environmental regulations overhanging us? So Jacob, if you can kind of start us off on that question, mainly talking about the, the order book and kind of new growth around that. Yeah, thanks, uh, Randy. I am, I am though going to hold uh, Carla. Thanks. Beautiful. But before I get to that, I want to chime in with, with Carla's uh, being uh, uh, part of the uh, prudent uh, ship owner community, uh, talking about uh, the airline industry. Um, how can I say setting yourself up? Then uh, I heard this morning that the CEO of uh, Delta Airlines is much more bullish. He is quoted saying that he expects all of his pilots to be out flying within the next six months. So, I mean, Let's wow. uh, at least I think that is positive news that if he's right, um, then uh, then your expectations are on the conservative side, uh, Carlos. But I, let's let's see what happens. Now coming back to your point, I think in general uh, ship owners are really good at attracting capital. I would not expect that that is uh, going to be in honesty uh, currently the, the the predominant restricting factor on getting that order book uh, back up. I think it is uh, regulation and the propulsion system, and. Our opinion is that uh, the ordering will be thin uh, in the coming years. And yes, there are certain shipyards that definitely will fill uh, slots to keep it at a, at a minimum. Uh, but ship owners will, on their side, be here at least somewhere up until the middle of this decade. And I think that's a very unusual situation of us that we are in, that we are looking at a market that is primed to come up from the current doldrums. And at the same time, that even when we now come into an upcycle, that I really think there is going to be there is going to be ordering, but it's going to be marginal, and we're going to at least, in our opinion, not see it uh, reverse to this 15 to 20 percent of uh, of the fleet in the short end. You also seen that uh, in the product tanker space, it is a specialized uh, niche market. I think on this panel, uh, probably all of the executives here know all of the CEOs of the shipyards because it is a limited number of shipyards that can actually produce a quality uh, product there. And that group that can even supply this has gone down, for instance, in South Korea by 40% on the capacity uh, during uh, the, the second half of the last decade. So I really see that on the, I would, I would be hesitant to believe that capital cannot be uh, come into this sector if returns are right. I don't think that is restricting. I think ship owners will be restricting themselves because of the 
potential dilemma that we all have, of course, about what is the future propulsion system. And that will be sure. the key factor holding it back. Yeah. And then on the other side of the fleet supply equation is scrapping, right? So Kevin, the market seems ripe for demolitions, high scrap steel prices, rising bunker cost, very low rate environment, yet demolition activity remains somewhat limited. I know there's been a few uh, in the recent months, but do you think this changes in the months ahead? Where will there be more scrapping kind of on an industry level with all these older vessels still out there on the water? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting question. And I think there are definitely a, a push and pull uh, in the scrapping decision. You know, let's start off with the positives. 30% of the world's tanker fleet is over 15 years old. I mean, that's an amazing number that I think bodes well for a potential reduction in fleet size in the future. Uh, combine that with the fact that scrap steel prices are surging. They're up easily 20% over last year. If you listen to all of the steelmakers' earnings that have been coming up, they expect a you know near historical prices this year with scrap steel following behind. So I think the economic incentives to scrap will, will be there. However, just like all of our equities are really a reflection of our future earnings, the scrapping decision is also you know, a decision that's made with the relatively near-term future in mind. And so for all of the reasons that the panelists have laid out here, I think the, the future for tankers and product tankers in particular looks pretty exciting for the next you know, couple of years, certainly. So I think when owners are facing that decision, they are, are taking that into account. When you combine that with the fact that, you know, as Tony said, everybody made money last year, despite the fact that the, the times have been tough recently. Uh, and because not many people ordered, because S&P activity was reduced, most people retained that those earnings on their balance sheets. So I don't think you're going to see a lot of financially motivated or, um, you know, companies pushed to scrap. So therefore, you have these two competing factors. I think it's a little bit hard to say what wins out in the end of the day. We've been counseling investors and, and saying, let's, let's not count on scrapping as being a major driver. But if it happens and we see more than, than expected, you know, we'll certainly take it. Great. And then Carlos, you know, last question on fleet and kind of industry level. How do you think this fuel transition plays out leading up to IMO 2030? You know, what, what fuel or maybe engine technology do you think is the current front runner and what could maybe be a dark horse for products tankers? Yeah, Randy, that, that's a very important question going forward for us. And uh, Jakub touched on this. I mean, the, the, the good, uh, the good uh, aspect of, the, of this, uh, uh, this uncertainty is that uh, it is refraining uh, ship owners for, from uh, ordering new vessels. Uh, it is one of the factors refraining ship owners possibly from ordering new vessels, but a uh, very important one. Uh, regarding the, 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 the ambitious targets for 2030, um, I believe that the, the easy, more easy solutions, drop-in solutions will be the ones that will allow us to reach those targets. Uh, so namely we have to reduce relative to 2008 baseline uh, emissions on a ton miles basis by, by 40% by 2030. Uh, and uh, so potentially biofuels, um, uh, so mixtures of fossil fuels and vegetable oil or grain, uh, where the content, uh, content of the biofuels is around 20 or 30 percent, uh, could be a solution. But of course, the biggest question, the bigger question is how are we going to meet the, the targets for 2050? Those are much more challenging, and uh, the technology which is available today is uh, not sufficient to meet those targets, which would require us to re reduce emissions on a ton-mile basis by 70%, and overall emissions relative to this 2008 baseline by 50%. So, uh, and there, uh, I believe there isn't a, an answer today. Uh, there are uh, front runners. Uh, there's a lot of talk about ammonia and hydrogen, but there is a fund which is probably going to be set up. Uh, it is going to be discussed again at uh, the next uh, MEPC meeting in uh, June this year. And uh, if this fund is set up, uh, which will then be financed by um, tax on bunker purchases, 
uh, then uh, the R&D that, that this fund will do will probably help us identify the, the winning solution eventually. Uh, ammonia and hydrogen looks look very promising, uh, not only for shipping, but also for other types of mo mobility. Uh, ammonia, probably because of the higher energy density, uh, so it occupies less uh, space, uh, or less storage space is probably more suitable for the deep sea shipping. Uh, hydrogen for the short sea shipping. Uh, but uh, I believe we will not know the answer uh, for another four or five years uh, since this fund, even if it is approved uh, by the IMO, it's probably not going to be operational and start getting funded before 2023. So, and then of course, there will be some time to some R&D time uh, required for them to, to arrive at a solution. And then uh, the solution will have to be deployed and pushed at an industry level and, uh, and the logistics uh, to be able to supply the vessels will have to be developed. So it, it will take time. Uh, uh, but uh, I would say these are the most uh, promising candidates today. Got it. Thanks. All right. We have uh, exactly 15 minutes left. So I want to ask each of you one question, kind of a company specific question. Then we'll get to some of the Q&A. Uh, we have a pretty robust list here. And then we'll finish with the lightning round. So first to Tony, you know, Ardmore just recently, a day or two ago, expanded its chemical fleet by taking over the commercial management of four 24,000 deadweight ton chemical tankers. You know, you mentioned your belief in kind of significant growth potential for more sustainable non-fossil cargoes. So can you talk briefly about, you know, that market as it stands today and, and where you see it going over the next few years? Um, yeah, well, I think that, um, you know, when we talk about uh, about the energy transition, um, really globally, but for shipping, we're really talking about evolution, not revolution. So, you know, it might be that uh, this, this actually takes more than a few years to play out. We believe that over time, uh, the evolution of our markets will continue. Uh, in a direction that's been happening for a long time. You, you know, you go back 25 years ago, crude tankers represented 90% of the world tanker fleet um, and product tankers only 10%. Um, today it's uh, close to 40% as product tankers and only 60% as crude, okay? Um, at the same time, the chemical sector has come on. So we think that there's gonna be a continued evolution um, of the markets and the growth markets will continue to be uh, chemicals, non-fossil fuels, uh, you know, long-term, but in the meantime, I think as was pointed out earlier, um, we think that there'll be underlying demand growth for product tanker demand uh, for uh, a number of years to come. But in the long-term, we're betting on what we call sustainable cargoes, which are specifically non-fossil fuel, largely chemicals, but other cargoes like veg oils and, and other, 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 other things that are essentially not, not consumed for uh, transport fuel. Um, so, you know, we were really pleased with the addition of these four ships to our fleet that doubles the size, uh, the number that we have in that size range of about 25,000 tons. It's an interesting market. Um, we've, you know, I think we've learned how to trade those ships very effectively. Um, and over time, you'll probably see us, you know, moving more and more into, uh, into that, that kind of business. Um, whether it's going to be immediate or noticeable in the next year or two, you know, remains to be seen. So. Okay. Uh, now to Michael. As a pool manager, you know, what are your thoughts around effective industry consolidation through cooperation agreements, maybe operating pools versus more structural consolidation through M&A? You know, what would benefit maybe the products tanker segment more? And are you still interested in consolidation through acquisitions? Yeah, so, I mean, I think it's a good question. Um, so as far as we're concerned, I mean, consolidation actually you know, could happen on both sides. I think the, if you like, the commercial consolidation through pools is obviously already there and has been for a while, not just by us, but also by others. Um, but no, we do see also on the M&A side and, and the consolidation there that there are, you know, there are values to be obtained. And I think particularly going into this uh, area of where we, you know, we're all in a way focusing on the business we have, but we're also keeping an eye on the future. And I think as, as Jacob also uh, said earlier, you know, looking at what are we to order, what are we not to order, that whole process, including the, the ESG process of investing in improvements on what you have, at the same time as looking for what the future will bring to you. 
that will require investments and scale in our view. So therefore, we do believe that it's going to be tougher to be smaller in the future as, as you would require more investments. And I think it's clear to, to, to see as well that access to finance, access to capital in general, the spread is getting wider in terms of costs. So we do see quite significant synergies in consolidating uh, different players in the market. Uh, and for sure, yes, that, that's a path that will still continue down. And... Got it. All right, Robert, question to you. You know, your board, Scorpio Tankers, recently authorized the 250 million securities purchase program. You've also recently mentioned your shares are trading below NAV. So I guess, what is your outlook on share repurchases versus secondhand acquisitions under the assumption that asset values and net asset values, right, are likely to rise throughout 2021? How do you balance the two? Okay, I'd just like to, to take something up on scrapping. Um, you know, in the product market, we don't have to really worry about scrapping because once vessel, the beauty with the product is once a vessel sort of gets much older than 15 years old, it effectively has a real you know, handicap trading in sure. a clean petroleum trade. And that's an amazing advantage that the product market had. So, you know, to get back to that ties into our question. I mean, look, we've got the fleet we want. We've got a modern fleet. We, we, we think that the market, other players will consolidate. We applaud Tom's move in the last couple of, uh, couple of weeks, applaud Anthony's move in the last couple of weeks. And we also are going to increase the pooling size. You know, over the next two, three weeks, we'll probably add, you know, another five, six, seven percent pool members to our pools too. And I'm sure that's being the same as being worked in Hafnir and Torm. So this consolidation will happen. For us, we're not going to order new buildings. We're not going to go buy things. Our fleet itself would be the best investment to make. And yes, I think that you've got this real opportunity in the market. I'm glad you mentioned it, but it's not just the cash flows. It's these net asset values right now are almost spring loaded because the first 10, 20% in asset values of a very quick market is going to come very fast. We've seen how this game is going to be played in the container market and the dry bulk market. Nothing really is different since 2003. 2003, the dry bulk led the product market, the product market followed, then the crude market in asset values. So for us, you know, we want to sort of get stuck in as soon as we can. But it's you know, the correct thing to do First is to get stuck in from a position of strength. When you start to buy back, you want to keep doing that buyback, just like we did in OMI in the 2000s. Yep. We were a little patient at the beginning. We didn't necessarily buy back at the lowest price at the beginning. But once we started, we just kept going. And that's the same position we'd like to be in in Scorpio Tankers. So we'll wait at the moment. We've said so on the conference call. But we'll wait. We'll wait to see the rates cross over to our all-in break-even level. We'd like to see average rates, LR2s, MRs being above $17,000 a day. And you know, then we'll get to it. Good answer. All right. Uh, Jacob, over to Torm. Clearly favoring consolidation there. You just agreed to acquire eight MRs from team tankers. So maybe quickly on how that deal came about and why you chose those eight assets from the team tankers portfolio. Yeah, thanks, uh, Randy. Well, there's, of course, the specifics around the deal for us, but I think uh, on this panel, what is bigger, bigger for me is actually that we've seen across shipping sectors uh, as of late that it's been uh, popular to go private, i.e. that, you know, the listing, the questionable kind of uh, listing can you actually utilize it? So uh, obviously, I think one of the key components in the deal we have is that it's a part cash, part share based transaction. So we're printing money uh, close to our uh, current uh, PNAV in, in the market. So I think that bodes well that we can actually at this lower end of the, the cycle that we can actually utilize our uh, listing. So that's number one. Then number two, uh, well, it's an asset class that we know well I think the team uh, tanker uh, uh, has clearly uh, indicated over some time that that structure is uh, is looking uh, uh, to be more of a financial uh, structure. So we've had a, a very constructive dialogue over time with the with the management team there, and it really, uh, at the end of the day, it was uh, it was quite simple to uh, to find a structure where obviously the team tanker structure is going to be 
be part of the of the one tone uh, platform. And then we like uh, going back to Tony's point. Uh, we like to dip our toe into something new. Now we have some uh, chem uh, capabilities uh, within the MR segment. We have done a little of that, but we've not had this uh, uh, prime uh, segregated uh, vessels in our fleet before. So we're going to learn and see is, and, and create some optionality around that. Perfect. Thank you. Um, Kevin, given the operational exposure at Diamond S, both the crude and refined products tanker markets, you know, which of those do you think recovers first and why? Or are these two segments always going to be highly correlated? You know, it, it's our it's our house view that certainly in the intermediate term, the segments are high, highly correlated, just given the switching at the margin. Um, we do echo, I think, the view of uh, that you heard on the panel today that we believe products will recover first this time. I think that's not necessarily what you've seen in uh, coming out of uh, past historical uh, bottoms. But I think there are a number of factors, including, um, as our panelists have, have described, the, the clo permanent closure of refineries uh, in areas that need product, I think will help drag the product market um, uh, ahead of the crude market uh, in this cycle. So um, I think appropriate for a product panel, we are, we are very uh, relatively more bullish on products in 2021 than we are. Perfect. All right. And then last, uh, a company specific question to Carlos, you know, Diamico, several leased vessels with purchase option periods that are now active, right? So I guess two questions around that and taking some from the Q&A. How do you evaluate those vessels for purchase? How do you evaluate the timing? And is a 10 year old MR uh, an attractive investment right now? Yes, it is. It is an attractive investment. Uh... Uh, prices are well below new building parity, and new building price, prices are low by historical standards. And uh, given all everything we discussed in the panel today, the, the outlook for the medium term is very positive. Um, we, we have a number of options that we can exercise, as you mentioned, on vessels that we sold and that we leased back. We did exercise one of those options. Uh, it was the most expensive one. Um, uh, it was also the shortest lease we had, uh, it matured uh, in 2022. Um, and so it was a no brainer, we, we did it. We had the cash, very comfortable cash position at the end of the year, so save some money on the interest cost. Uh, we will look uh, very seriously into exercising other options uh, in the near future, but not immediately. Um, you know, we will wait uh, a bit like Robert uh, mentioned uh, that he's going to wait for rates to uh, come back uh, at break-even levels before um, starting to looking more seriously into the share buybacks. Uh, we will uh, we will do probably the same with our purchase options. Um, and uh, yeah, but uh, but there is there is value that we will be able to extract there um, and savings that we will be able to achieve in the in the near future. Great. All right, well, we have three minutes to go, so it's time for the lightning round. Now, keep your answers very short. We're just going to go through each of you. Um, again, very short answers. Starting with Tony, what is your expectation for products tanker ton mile demand growth in percentage terms in 2021, full year basis? I have to frame it differently. Um, it'll be back up to the levels that we saw in January of 2020. Can you give me a percentage number? From from when? Sorry, I'm killing the time uh, here. 2021 over year over 2020. Oh, uh, it'll be uh, it'll be up 10 percent. Strong, Michael. Ton mile growth. Yes, sir. Yeah, yeah. I, I, for 2021, I doubt we're going to be. Uh, I'd love to see 10 percent. I have to admit, I, I think we're probably going to be closer to four or five percent. Okay, Robert. Uh, I'll. You're saying by the end of this year, right? So I got um, all the refinery changes, everything. If you take the full year 2021 ton miles divided yeah. by the full year 2020 ton miles, what is the difference? How many in percentage? Oh, ton miles. Okay, well, ton lots, miles of right, lots of ships are just sitting doing storage, so at least 10%, probably 12. Okay. Jacob? By 31. Five. Kevin? Four. Carlos? 
Around 6%. All right, so 4 to 10%, pretty big range. On the fleet growth side, new building deliveries, net of scrapping, inverse order. Carlos? Uh, around 2 to 3%. I don't think there's going to be a lot of demolitions, unfortunately, but a bit more than uh, last year. Okay, Kevin? Yeah, I, I think at zero scrapping, it's probably 2.5%, so I'm going to be a little bit optimistic and say 2%. Jacob? Three. Robert? I think effective growth, as I said before, we don't care about scrapping. Aging over 15 matters the most, so effective supply growth would be zero to one. Michael? Uh, two. Okay, and Anthony, Tony? We include handies in the calculation because they're substitutes, and on that Absolutely. basis, it's 1.5%. Uh, uh, wow, all right, so zero to two. Everybody's same range. Last question uh, before I get the hook here. MR spot rates, obviously they're eight, 10, maybe 11,000 a day for some of you. Will they exceed 20,000 a day for at least a week or two, not just one day, right? For a week or two, 20,000 a day in the calendar year 2021. And if so, what month do you expect this to happen? Last question, Tony? December. Okay, Michael. Yeah, I'll pass on that if you don't mind. We haven't released our results yet, so I'd rather not uh, make any financial statements. <laughs> they might already be there for you. All right, maybe March for Michael. Uh, Robert? Yes, scrubber-fitted modern MR will exceed 30,000 for a one-week period, sometime okay. between June and December 31st, and 20,000 sometime between May and um, you know November. All right, I'm going to hold you to that. Uh, Jacob? Uh, yeah, it will exceed, and let's say November. Okay, and Kevin? i say yes, and September, I think we see a post-summer business travel-driven jet fuel drive. Yeah, fair thesis there. And Carlos, last answer. No, I think we're going to have uh, some brief regional spikes uh, on a more sustainable basis. Uh, I think we might have to wait for, for mid-22. All right. Well, clearly... With rates around 10, 11,000 now, getting back to 20 at some point in the back half of the year, seems like uh, the future is bright. So thanks again for everyone joining the panel. Nicholas, thanks for having us. Sorry for the going two minutes over there. This has been a tremendous panel. I wish we could go on for another hour. Uh, so thank, thank you. you to everybody for this amazing uh, insight. Thank you very much. Thanks. Thank you. Yep.